14. Those of you who have been parents or are parents will know that when our babies are born and as they grow through infancy and childhood and even through the teen years, doctors, nurses are concerned to measure them, weigh them, and test their various abilities, gripping, standing, speaking, hearing. And they're really wanting to make sure that our children are meeting benchmarks, that they're getting to the right milestones at the right time. Just looking at a general graph of what's normal for the different stages of life as they grow in weight and height and ability to talk and all different kinds of criteria to make sure that they are meeting these norms. And if they don't, if they're somehow falling short, then action is taken to ensure that they can catch up if possible and at least come nearer the norm. And in the same way, God has given us different benchmarks, different milestones, different norms for our spiritual life. And He's given us these to help us know where we are spiritually, whether we are lagging behind in our spiritual life, and if so, what action is needed to bring us up to nearer the norm and move us forward before too much time has passed. And so today we're going to ask this question, are we hitting our spiritual benchmarks? Are we reaching the milestones appropriate to our faith age? As we do so, we're going to be looking at this passage here, which as you can see, it gives us different stages of growth. We see little children, infants, children, young adults, and parents. And in this passage, it's framed in terms of young and old, and also in terms of sex, gender, male and female. But as we look at this, it's very important to remember this is not about what physical age we are or what physical sex we are. These are just illustrative of the general spiritual growth of all. It doesn't matter what age or what sex. So, we're not here talking about what is physical. We're talking about what is spiritual, and it applies to all, regardless of whether we are male and female. We, as a church, really want, our ideal is, for every Christian to be a disciple and a disciple maker. And that's why Pastor Jean and I have been going through a series on discipleship. We started with Pastor Jean giving us a call to discipleship, a call that comes from Jesus Himself. Then we looked at family discipleship. That's discipleship within the family setting, usually parents to children. Last week, Pastor Jean looked at outreach discipleship. That's discipleship, as it were, in the world. The discipleship by Christians of non-Christians, or at least those who are seeking to become a Christian. Today, we want to look at what we could call church discipleship. That's Christian-to-Christian discipleship within the church. 
And as we do so, we're going to look uh, repeatedly at this wheel. It's called a discipleship wheel, and it's based on a book that we would really love everyone to read. It's called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. Our elders and deacons are reading it. Our staff and pastors have read it. I know a number of young, of small groups are looking at it, and we think it'd be wonderful if we really got that book into the, our congregation's DNA. We feel it will bring us closer to Christ's vision for us as a church. And it's summed up in this, disciples making disciples. Everyone a disciple, and everyone a disciple maker. And you'll see here that if we start at the 12 o'clock position, it really begins with those who are still in unbelief, those who are dead in trespasses and sins, those who need to hear the gospel. And then here, born again, is of course the big transition from unbelief to belief, from non-Christian to Christian. And following that, there are four stages which we'll look at in more detail. The first one here, sort of between one o'clock and three o'clock, is the infant stage. And we'll see that that's characterized by lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. Second stage down here, from three o'clock to six o'clock, is a child. And a common characteristic of this stage is being somewhat self-centered. The great need of those in this section is to be connected, as we'll see. And then there's young adult from six o'clock round to nine o'clock. This is somebody who's growing and maturing, and they are turning now from self to others. And then finally, parent. And the focus there is on reproducing, on becoming disciple makers. And at the center, of course, is the Christ, the Savior, who makes it all possible, who's the one who brings us from that deadness through infancy, through childhood, through young adulthood, through parenthood, and we want everything to center in Him. So, let's look in a bit more detail at the first benchmark, the first milestone, and it's spiritual infancy, and the key word here is sharing, sharing with spiritual infants. These are people who have been born again, who have come to faith, but they don't know an awful lot. In this passage, it says in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children, in this context the word for infant, toddler, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. They know that. Spiritual infants know this, I've been forgiven because of Jesus. Jesus has washed away my sins as I have put my faith in Him, in His cross, in His sacrifice, in His work of being my substitute, bearing my punishment so that all my guilt and all my sin can be washed away. And sometimes that's so good to, too good to be true that spiritual infants can, can actually lose their grasp of that and sort of go back to trying to be saved by doing good works. And so, Paul just wants this foundation really firm in their lives. Little children, your sins are forgiven. Remember that. All your sins, your big ones and your little ones, your old ones, your recent ones, your future ones. 
the sins of habit, the one-offs, the sins that people know about, the sins that no one knows about. Little children, although you are just born, you've just entered spiritual life, you don't need to wait for any further time to be assured that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. And as we go through this letter, if you read 1 John, you'll notice that the focus is very much on knowing, on helping these spiritual infants know more, gaining not just knowledge, but understanding as well. So, I want to show you what real-life discipleship, uh, how it describes these spiritual infants, so that we can, we can look at these standards, and this is written by uh, people who have had decades of experience in discipling others, and hopefully we as a church can learn from them. So, first of all, the main characteristic of spiritual infants is they lack knowledge, they lack understanding, and therefore lack faith, lack strength, lack holiness, lack a sense of identity, a sense of purpose. If you lack knowledge, a lot of other things are lacking. So, what are the beliefs and behaviors of those who are spiritual infants? Well, first of all, as infants, of course, they don't know what they need. When we have little ones in our arms, they don't know what they need. And so it is with spiritual infants. They often have unrealistic expectations of themselves and of others in the church. They've not yet learned the reality of the ups and downs of the Christian life. They still have much of their worldly worldview that love of the world that John spoke of, is, there's still quite a bit of that in them. They, their perspective, their worldview is still overly influenced by their previous life or by the culture that they have absorbed. And then revealing phrases. These are words that can help us identify if we or others we know and love are spiritual infants. It's like any parent raising a child, they'll be able to tell what stage a child is at by just listening to their language, the kinds of things they talk about. And here is one of them. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I have a relationship with Jesus, so I don't need a relationship with others. I pray and read my Bible. That's, that's good enough for me. You see how spiritual infants don't really know what they need. And, and it's, this is not blaming them. You don't blame an infant child for being an infant child. They have to go through these stages. So the, these are not condemnations. They're simply descriptions. So please don't take this as something that makes you feel down and out, but it's simply descriptive. But it does help us identify, where am I spiritually? And then the greatest need of spiritual infants is for someone to come into their life and share with them, for a disciple maker to come alongside them and turn them into a true disciple, a learner, someone who follows Jesus, 
through faith in Jesus. And if we take a closer look at that wheel and the section dealing with the spiritual infant, you'll see that it talks about sharing your life, sharing new truth, and sharing a new identity. This is how we can help spiritual infants to grow, coming alongside them to share, to share our lives, to explain what it is to be a Christian and what it looks like, feels like. Then share new truth. They need to know more and gain more understanding of what they do know. And then sharing their new identity, helping them to see that they have indeed passed from death to life, that they truly are children of God. So the great need of spiritual infants is someone to come alongside and share with them. We can maybe sum up spiritual infancy like this. Infants don't know what they don't know. Therefore, we need a, a, a spiritual parent to come into their lives and help them move from ignorance, lack of knowledge, to knowledge and understanding. So, you might say, well, what would be, if, I'm, if I'm a spiritual infant, what would be the next step? What's the next stage I should be aiming for? What would spiritual growth look like for me? Well, John tells us here something that is true of spiritual children, no longer just infants and toddlers, but children. Maybe we would call children maybe something like 3 to 15, 14. I don't want to insult anyone here. But there's a, there's a step, isn't there, between infancy and young adulthood, a number of years. And John recognizes this. For example, here at the end of verse 13, he says, I write to you children. And this is a different word to the word that he's used earlier of little children, infants. And so he's recognizing there's been some growth, some development. They have moved forward. I write to you children because you know the Father. So here's some growth, isn't there, in this critical area of knowledge. This person has moved from not knowing to knowing. And here John gives an example of the kind of knowledge that characterizes a child, a spiritual child. They have sort of progressed past just knowing Jesus as their Savior, as their forgiver, and now they're, they're exploring more of God. They are wanting to know more than salvation. They want to know their heavenly Father. They want to know who He is and how He is. They want to know the privileges of having God as their Father. They want to experience Him teaching them and leading them and guiding them, even disciplining them, protecting them as a father. They, they want to know what it means to have this great privilege and responsibility of being a son or a daughter of God. I write to you children because you know the Father. So again, we want to look at what real-life discipleship says also about this stage. And what spiritual children need most is connection, as we'll see. So, what's their main characteristic? Well, 
you think of children physically between the ages of, say, three, four, and maybe early teens, they're characterized, aren't they, by an de increasing desire for independence and a self-centeredness. Again, this is, this is not condemnation, but simply description. This is just reality. This is how it is. What are their beliefs and behaviors? Well, they often have emotional highs and lows. There's not so much stability. They're a bit unpredictable. They, they have knowledge and understanding, but maybe lack wisdom in applying that. Maybe lack wisdom in how to share that knowledge, how to share that gospel, how to stand up for truth. They also, when they serve and they do want to serve, they, they'll often weigh up the service that they want to do based on the costs and the benefits of it to themselves. So, it's just, again, that self-focus. What will it cost me? What will it benefit me? So, they want to do good, but the motive is still a bit confused, a bit imperfect. What are their revealing phrases? How would, you, how would we know if we are a spiritual child or if people we know are? Well, here are some of the phrases that real-life discipleship uh, tell us to look out for. I love my small group. Don't add any more people to it. Or, who are all these people coming to my church? Tell them to go somewhere else. My small group is not taking care of my needs. No one's discipling me. No one's spending enough time with me. I didn't like the music today. If only this church could do it like X church, Y church, Z church. Revealing phrases. What's the greatest need to help this child move forwards, grow further? The great need for them is connection. They've, they've had this person come alongside them and start sharing with them, but now we're thinking, how can we connect this person? And that connection, of course, is first of all with God, developing that personal relationship with God, connecting them with a small group, absolutely essential for spiritual growth, especially in a large congregation, and connecting them maybe with a service or a ministry opportunity as we assess their gifts and abilities. So, the greatest need is connection. Again, going back to this wheel, the child focused on self, we want to connect them to our mission, establish new habits, connect to a community like a small group. The great focus is on connection. If you want to move from being a child, as we'll see, to a young adult, you need connection. Again, we can sum this up. We move from I, me, my to we, us, our. So, a, a spiritual child who's moving into spiritual adulthood should have far less of the I, me, and my in their spiritual life, and a lot more of that we, us, our, as they are connected to God and His people. So, we want to move on, don't we? Who wants to be stuck as a child? We, ha we want to move to that next stage, which is training of young adults. So, we have the toddler, the infants, we have the child, and now we have young adults. 
and their great need is training. Let's return to 1 John chapter 2. It says here in the middle of verse 13, I'm writing to you, young men. Remember, it's not sex-specific. It's true of both men and women. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And again, in verse 14, middle of the verse, I write to you, young men, young adults, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So, here's someone now who has the Word of God dwelling in them. It's, it's wound up in them. It's part of their DNA. They, they cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as this Word dwells in them, their strength grows. Their spiritual muscles develop. And that's especially seen in how they defeat temptation, how they beat the devil, how they engage in spiritual warfare and emerge, by God's grace, victorious. They are strong. They have overcome the evil one. So again, let's, let's look at how real-life discipleship talks about this. What's the main characteristic of young adults? Action, service movement, activity, energy, enthusiasm. The world is their oyster. Let's get after it. Their beliefs and behaviors, well, they've turned inside out. It's no longer about I, me, my, but we, our, us. We're serving now, not with a cost-benefit analysis, but we're very focused on serving for the benefit of others and serving for the glory of of God. Also, they become God-centered and others-centered. What are their revealing phrases? How would we know them? How would we know ourselves? Let's see if you can recognize some of these phrases. I love my small group, but there are others who need one. How can I help someone get into another small group or join our own? I think I could lead a group, a small group, with a little help. Maybe Pastor Jean would train me and equip me Look at how many are at church today. It's awesome. I had to walk two blocks from the closest parking spot. It's not, that's in the book. I'm not making this up. <laughs> Luke and Rachel miss small group, and I call to see if they're okay. Could I start a ministry to seniors or some other needy group? What's their greatest need? With all this energy, all this zeal, all this knowledge, they need training. They need guardrails. They need someone to channel all this energy, all this enthusiasm in the right way, in the right direction. So again, let's go to this discipleship wheel. Young adults focus on others. They need training to serve where they live, their families where they work, their workplace, and where they play, their sports, their hobbies. How can, how can I be a witness? How can I serve these various communities I find myself in? They need to be provided with ministry opportunities. They're now mature enough to begin to step more vigor into service and ministry, and therefore we also need to equip them for ministry, training to serve. Young adults are mature servants. 
They're young in some ways, but they're mature in other ways. Well, hopefully I'm inspiring you to want to move from infancy to childhood to young adult, and now I hope I can inspire you to keep going, not to rest at this step, but to press on to being a spiritual parent. And the word that is associated with this stage is release. Releasing to be a spiritual parent. Look at verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers and mothers because you know Him who is from the beginning. Beginning of verse 14. I write to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. Do you see what John is saying here? He's saying, you don't just have knowledge, you have knowledge of the deep things of God. You have not just learned from the New Testament, you've gone back to the Old Testament, and you've even gone into eternity. You've learned about God's eternity, who He was before the foundation of the world. You're growing in profound theological and biblical knowledge. You know Him who is from the beginning, who was there before the beginning, and who is the beginning of all things. And as a result, there's very clear knowledge, there's strong convictions, there's stable emotions. And as real-life discipleship puts it, their main characteristic is intentionality and a strategy for reproducing. Their mindset is, how can I multiply I've been a disciple, and I still stay a disciple, but I now want to be a disciple maker. I want to reproduce what I have been given by God in others, and to do so intentionally, deliberately, not just waiting for opportunities, but going out, looking for them, asking pastors on, who can I disciple? And, and having a strategic view of this, sort of trying to really use your time well, picking the right people to invest yourself in that are suited to you and your character. Their beliefs and behaviors, they're self-feeders. They're not dependent on a pastor. They, they come to church, they listen to the sermons, they learn from the sermons, but that's actually a pretty small part of their weekly diet. They're in the Word, they're in good books, they're in good podcasts, they're watching good videos on YouTube that really help them, feed their souls, nourish them, strengthen them. The sermon on Sunday, that's a bonus. They are hungry, and they are getting as good a spiritual diet as they possibly can. They're spirit-motivated discipling relationships. They're not doing this for themselves. They're doing it because the Holy Spirit is working through them and sharing His heart for discipling others. Revealing phrases, a friend asked me to explain the Bible, will you pray for me? How can I get Jim and Gina into a ministry? Where can our small groups serve? Locally, in the church, on mission. I have a person in my small group who would be perfect for this ministry, that ministry, this service, that service. The greatest need is to be released, to be let go as a disciple maker. In the last quarter here, 
the happiest Christians are parent Christians. You don't realize what you're missing out on by staying in childhood or staying in adolescence, young adulthood. There is the happiest Christians in this spiritual parent quadrant. So their focus is on reproducing, reaching out through evangelism, reproducing through discipleship, and being released to impact the world. Are we hitting our spiritual benchmarks? Are we, are we reaching the right milestones for someone like us who is this age and has been a Christian for so long? Where am I on that norm? Am I way behind or am I where God expects me to be? Am I growing? Am I progressing? Am I maturing? Is, is there a step remaining for me to take? Are we hitting our spiritual benchmarks? I hope that discipleship circle will really help you to figure out where you are and hopefully really inspire you and motivate you so that you say, I'm I, I, I still an infant. I really want to become a child. Or I'm a child. Man, what, what do I need to move into young adulthood? I'm a young adult. How do I, how do I get to being a spiritual parent, reproducing and multiplying? So look for yourself in this. And, and use it also for when you're discipling someone, discerning where they're at so that you don't focus on something that's too immature or too mature for them. So let's grow to grow other growers. That's our great aim. As we look at these benchmarks, let's hear God saying, grow, 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 to grow other growers. So it doesn't end with us but through us it multiplies into others. We do that one-to-one. -one. We might do it in a small group. We might do it in a ministry, teaching our Sunday school, catechisms, high school groups, whatever it is, Bible studies. But this is very much focused not just on group discipleship, but one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So, remember, all of us have to go through these stages. No one, no one gets a shortcut. We all have to go through them. We want to know where we're at so we know how to grow. And I leave you with this thought. God loves us whatever stage we're at equally. If you've passed from death to life, you've gone through that new birth, and you're now spiritual infant, child, young adult, parent, know that it's not a question of God having His favorites. It's not a question of pride. It's not a question of being superior to others. God loves all His children, His infants, His children, His young adults, and His parents equally and encourages us to press on. But remember, 
You cannot be a disciple maker until you become a disciple. You can't get to infancy, childhood, young adulthood, or parenting without going through new birth, without passing from death to life by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you need to start today. And then a whole world of growth and opportunity opens up to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us these benchmarks, milestones, norms. We would ask you to help each one of us desire to grow. Maybe some of us have been parents and we've slipped back to being young adults or even infants. Recover us, restore us. Maybe some of us are inconsistent, sometimes young adults, sometimes infants, sometimes parents. Lord, give us that stability and consistency. Some of us, Lord, have not even begun. We can't grow because we don't even have life. And if so, we beg that you would give that life that makes so much growth possible. In Jesus' name, amen.